the Reverend Dr. Henry Lopez, man of God, a dear friend to this ministry. God bless you. You may be seated. The last time I was here, I got to tell you, my wife wasn't here that day that I think it was in November. You remember that? Well, you know, I have to be honest with you. I walked through those doors, and my eyes were bulging out of my head. They were red. I looked like I smoked an ounce of pot. <laughs> and the pastor took me back there and gave me some tea with uh, honey. What happened was that my wife, as you know, she was ill, and she passed something on to me. And that morning I woke up and I looked at myself and I said, what's going on here? You see, and I had to be here. And it was snowing uh, the day before and the, the roads were kind of slippery out there. But I made it here. And uh, last week I was over Bishop Luis Vargas' church. That's over in Freeport, Long Island. This man here, he has that kind of structure and knowledge that your pastor possesses. He produces churches, I mean, all over the world, all over Brooklyn. And he has these, what you call the cell groups. And, uh, and he knows how to, he has even produced books that would uh, instruct the people that are running these uh, uh, cell groups. And so they grow into the hundreds, and he establishes a church. And then, I mean, he, it's, it's like automatic. They're growing like crazy. So I was there this past Sunday, did two services there. And as you know, he's a son of our ministry, Anchor House. He came through Anchor House himself. Uh, we, we have two bishops that have come out of Anchor House. Michael Arnold from, uh, from uh, North Carolina was consecrated a bishop as well. And so these are, you know, these are investments that you make, you see. The Bible says that if you give to the poor, is like giving to the Lord. And I always wonder what that Scripture, man, I said, what do you mean? I mean, God has everything. No, what you're doing is that uh, God, you're investing in the kingdom of God. And, and so God blesses you over that. And so we have a lot of sons out there and daughters that are in the ministry and in mission and all different types of ministries. And so God is automatically blessing me. I'm still getting uh, interest from those uh, Investments that I made for 35 years in Anchor House, you see. So then Pastor uh, Bishop told, told, tells me, uh, you know that uh, uh, Pastor uh, uh, Nazario is going to come out this way and we're going to do a prayer meeting with Joe Matera. And I know, I know Joe Matera like uh, we came out of the same church over 30 years ago. And I said to him, you know what? I said, I'm going to be there over in the Bronx, but I would like to be part of that. I would like to be part of that prayer meeting that's going to be, uh, I, I, he says, it's going to be uh, done over in his place. So I said, if, if Pastor Nazaro is going to be there and Joe Matera is going to be there, I want to be there. You know, I want to have some good time there too. I'll I, 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 I be honest with you. I can't be part of, I have, in order for me to be part of a prayer meeting, I have, to, I, have to be, I have to be with people that are transparent, people that are real. And I, I believe, and I told your pastor the last time I was here, that uh, this is just the beginning for him, that God is going to promote him into the bishop. 
he has the wisdom, he has the ability, he has the knowledge, he has the structure. I mean, he's, he's lined up for that. And remember, when they do consecrate him a bishop, invite me, tell him, invite Henry, because he was the one that prophesied this to you. Yeah, I would like to be part of that. I would like to come out and, and be part of, the, uh, uh, of that in, in installment. Uh, last night we were out in uh, uh, this church, this young lady that used to work for Anchor House. She was a counselor. And uh, she started with us, and we kind of trained her. Uh, she just came out of prison. And so we had to train her. She had no knowledge of the scriptures that much. She read the Bible in prison, and she was there for a number of years. And her name is Yolanda. And so she knows your pastor. And so Yolanda was, I knew that there was something special about Yolanda. So when we opened up the women's facility, we, 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 we put her on as a counselor. I wanted to push her on into the directorship. That's, that was my goal. That was what I had in mind. But one day she came up to me and says, Henry, um, I got to leave. I said, why? Why you got to leave? I mean, come on. And she said, well, God has called me to pastor. Now, I'll be honest with you. You know, we talk about faith, but I didn't have faith that she was going to, you know, because I said, this girl just came out of prison. She just started out here at Anchor House. And she's talking about pastoring. In my mind, that's where my mind was at. Well, she left. And about, about a year later, I'm driving in Staten Island and driving past this park. And I looked over, and there she was in the park preaching. You see, so I said, holy, wait a minute. She's starting out with, you know, preaching out there in the streets. She used to be my interpreter. And so I trained her in that area. And uh, before you know it, she started a feeding program in an area which was, is isolated in Staten Island. It's uh, factory paved. There's nothing there. And so there's a whole group of immigra immigrants, Mexicans, in that particular area. And, and if you hear her now talk, she talks like a Mexican. And she started feeding. Uh, she had this uh, rescue mission type of feeding program. And she started there. And before you know, God began to promote her, began to increase her. And so we went there last night. And my God, she had what you call family, uh, Friends Day. And she had a huge, large group of young people. It was an incredible thing that took place. And the place was packed out. Because let me tell you something. You have those young people, and you encourage them, and they'll go out to the highways and byways, and they'll compel many to come in. So there was people there. I mean, there were blacks there. There were, there were Hispanics there. There were Mexicans there. There were whites there. And I was so impressed. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit was moving there just like it's moving here. Because I know, listen, I couldn't wait to get here. Because I came into those doors the last time I was here, and I was ill tremendously. Your pastor looked at me and said, come on, I'm going to give you some, <laughs> some honey and tea. And the power of the Holy Spirit moved here so incredibly, you see. And so this week, I go out to, like I said, I was over with Vargas, and many people got saved, and many people got healed in the service. But, and I brought an undershirt, and I brought a shirt to change, but I forgot to change. And I, I, went, I went home. I went out to my car, and it was a distance away. By the time I got home, I was ill. So I'm sitting down at, at home, and I'm saying, sweetheart, 
I got, I got, I can't wait to go to Pastor Nazira's church, but man, right now I don't feel this. <laughs> you know, I'm taking Epsom salt baths and, and I'm going through all kinds of changes. And last night I went to Yolanda's service and I was in bad shape. But the power of the Holy Spirit, as I was sitting there, as I was sitting to be called, Pastor, uh, uh, I got a vision of two angels hovering over me and, and anointing me and consecrating me for that particular service. And last night, so many people that were there got saved. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't take credit for that. And I would never dare take credit because I was sitting in a corner. <laughs> I wasn't even sitting in the chairs. I was sitting in the corner. They had like a, like a what was that? The, the, radiator, the radiator trying to get warmed up. And I had my head down, and the Holy Spirit gave me a vision of angels consecrating me and saying, you're going to do, there's going to be some, something's going to happen here incredibly. After the service, I was healed completely. Can you imagine? Not only the people were touched, but, the, but God, there was retro, retro what was the word? Repros, uh, re, retros, what's that word? Re, reciprocate. That's the word. But, so God, God blessed me and healed me. That's my teacher there, by the way. She's my grammar teacher. When I met this young lady, let me tell you something. She, she, she comes out of a middle-class background. Her parents were white Americans, and they were the most wonderful people in the world. And she went to school. She went and she got the fund fundamentals, the basics, which is important. If you're going to go to school, you've got to get the basic. You've got to get the foundation. When you're in the Lord, your beginning is the most important part. When you build that foundation, you've got to build that foundation. And from there, you can take off. You, you can talk to those contractors, and they tell you that foundations are the most important. If not, that building is going to fall apart. And so your beginnings... Like the pastor said, he went, he went, to, get, he went to get biblical uh, insight at Bay Ridge Christian Center. And to me, it was a privilege to, 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 to be part of his life. Because I knew. I knew God was going to do great things. He challenged me because he is so intelligent. And he has so much insight. So he had me on my toes. I couldn't, I couldn't go there and give any crumbs. I had, I had to be on my, uh, you know, I had to be on my P's and Q's. So my wife, when she met me, Keep in mind that I came from the streets. I, 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 was, I, I was placed in a shelter, children's shelter. I come from that background where I was stealing when I was a child. You see, I've learned uh, uh, how, to, how, how to survive in the streets. Been in the streets for most of my life. So when I met her, I was talking like, hey, man, what's going on, baby? You're all right. <laughs> And so, so, so I went to school. After three tries, I got my GED. I passed by one, one point. And, uh, and, and so I decided, I felt that God wanted me to go to college. And so thank God, I mean, all those degrees that I have really should have her name on it. I mean, I've even made the who's who. I was one of the top students in the country. A 4.0, uh, uh, you know, average, yeah. But she was instrumental. One night I woke up and I said, what do you think about this paper? And she looked at it and she says, trash. Throw it in the garbage can. <laughs> what do you mean? What you, you, you don't have even pronouncing words right. So she had to take care of it, you know, fix it up. 
patch it up. And that's how, that's how I went through school, got, you know, procured two, uh, two bachelors, one master's, postgraduate, uh, yeah, honorary doctorate. And so it was because, I have to be honest with you, I, she was there, she was up all night. In those days, you didn't have the computer, so you had to type. And she typed all the papers. Every single, I didn't know how to type. I didn't know how to type. She typed everything, you see. And that's how, that's how I got to where I'm at, you see. And I've uh, been married this coming May 40 years. Can you imagine that? 40 years. But, you know, I, I, I got a message today, and it's, and it's mixed in with teaching, because I realize that you are a, because I know him, and so if I know him, I know his congregation. You don't want, you don't want any, uh, you want some teachings, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, I, I want to teach you a couple of little things and, uh, and, uh, as the Holy Spirit moves. And uh, I just need you to walk with me, take this journey with me, and we're, gonna, we're going to, we're gonna pray. I need to pray. I'm going to pray for me. I'm praying for me at this moment, but I'm going to pray for you as well. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God Almighty, we are anticipating that you're going to do something here. God, you already did something. Your people are well fed here. And Father, and just use me to, to just be part of this, to contribute to this. Use me as your vessel. Release your power and your anointing through me. God, because it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And so, Lord, anoint me so I can be a blessing to these people that are your children, special people in the Lord. God, I believe the Bronx is going to be reached in such a way, in a powerful way. And, Lord, who would think that in the Bronx would come out a Supreme Court justice. Who would think, Lord, that all these people that have come out, these Hispanic people, all these congressmen and all these uh, uh, borough presidents, and they come out of the Bronx. God, you got something here for the Bronx. And you're going to continue to lift up men and women of God, and you're going to send them out to the highways and byways. And they're going to compel many to come and I believe that the, that the Bronx, there's going to be a revival here that's going to take place. But God, like the pastor said, the word of God, the word of God is principle. And so, Lord, teach us to walk in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me for a moment uh, uh, in Psalms 42. And... Um, when you deal with the Psalms, you know, the Psalm is kind of like a realistic book as far as I'm concerned. It, it depicts the body of Christ. It depicts people, you know, because of the, because, I mean, if we're not in the Word, we're going to be taking what you call a roller coaster ride, emotional roller coaster. If you're not, if you're not grounded and rooted in God's Word, you're, you're, you're going to go through a real ride. You're not going to be solid in, in your beliefs. You're going to be up one day and down the other. You know, I, I hear the word feeling a lot. A lot of people emphasize on that word feeling. 
And so when I ran the, the ministry of Anchor House, I told these men, listen, don't even use that word in front of me. Because let me tell you, if Jesus would have gone by feelings, you and I wouldn't be sitting here and enjoying the presence of the Lord. Feelings go down and up, and, and there is, if Jesus committed himself. You know, one day I was sitting in a, in a college class, and, and they were talking about love, how, how ignorant I realized these folks were. And uh, the teacher says, you know, can you, can you define love? And so, you see, God has always stuck me out there, put me out there in the middle, and, uh, and I've taken a lot of slack from people because I'm, I'm a very timid guy by nature. But I'm bold prophetically. And no matter where you put me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it like it is. I've gone to colleges and, and people have walked out of the classroom because of what I said. And so I, I said, you know, they, everybody talked about feelings. And so I mentioned Jesus. I said, if Jesus went by feelings, we wouldn't be here. He made a commitment. The feelings are like roller coasters. They're up and down. And, and, and so when, I mean, ask Hollywood. I heard somebody over there got married, and people ran over to that person because that person was married for six months to ask that person what, they, what their secret was, you see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and so because people aren't, even the body of Christ is not maintaining, you see, and, and, and they're, they're up and down in their marriages. Listen, marriages aren't, listen, men and women are different creatures, you see. But if we begin to base our marriage on the word of God, we're going to be all right. You see what I'm saying? And, and, so, and so we're going to read verse 3 of, of chapter 42 of the Psalms, and we're going to find out how the psalmist operates. Here we are. Verse 3. He says, this is what the psalmist is saying. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long, people say to me, where is your God? They're mocking him. I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God. With joyful and thankful shouts. Why am I so depressed? <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand this guy. Look, he, he's now depressed. Why this turmoil within me? Then he says, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. Okay, he came out of it. And then he goes back into it. He says, I am deeply depressed. <laughs> Therefore, say therefore with me, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, and from Mount Mitzah. Now, let me, let, let me, let me, let me, let me share, let me share with you. As I already share, this brother here is going through an emotional roller coaster. And uh, let me, let me, uh, and, 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 and the psalmist, obviously, as we, we're reading, is going through or experiencing what you call inward conflict, pain, and disappointment, and struggle, and conflict, and pain, 
and disappointment. You know, I've been in, I've been in the human service field for many years. I've been a minister since 19. I started preaching 39 years ago, and I still don't know how to preach. I, I'm dependent upon the Lord. If you see me getting up every in the services, because I'm, I just I just need to get the Lord to come and settle me down. I get up and if I'm coming here, I'm going to get up at five in the morning. I I you know, you see me running in bathrooms and everywhere because I'm I'm really really need the touch of the Lord. I don't depend on whatever I've learned over the years, and but I've learned one thing though. Speaking psychologically, because I, I, I hated my father, you see. And I, when I got saved, and you know how I got saved. I was on drugs. I was left to die. I was shot. And uh, because of the lifestyle that I lived, God rescued me. Uh, um, he mobilized heaven and earth to save me because of the way I was shot, I was supposed to be dead. And, you know, they, they used dumb, dumb bullets they left me laying out in some uh, area which was isolated, and they used dum-dum bullets. I can feel all those bullets passing me by. They shot so many bullets and got hit. My lungs, uh, my, I got hit in my lungs, my intestine, my bladder, and my main artery. Supposed to be dead. But because I cried out to the Lord, because my mother always, my mother was instrumental. My mother was a, a woman of God, and she always as a child she would tell me you know just call upon the name of the lord he's real he'll 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 rescue you and so i cried out and god saved me and you heard this testimony before you see and so i went in the program a court team challenge i had no other choice because of my lifestyle police wanted to question me on, on a number of uh, attempted murder charges and so i i was squeezed and i went into Team challenge. I felt I'll go there for a while. I'm not going to be here too long with these bunch of guys here. I got too much women out there in the streets. I'm not going to spend any time with these guys here, going to the bathroom with them, using the showers with them. I'm not. That's not my type of uh, lifestyle. So my intention was just to uh, recuperate for a while. You know. You know how it is when you go to prison. Prisoners they start developing their muscles. They want to. They're physical. They're into the physical nature of it. And so. Uh, but, but I realized that uh, I was saved, but there was a work to be done. And so in order for me to get set free from a lot of uh, uh, trauma and a lot of issues that I had in my life, a lot of hate, and one of my goals was to kill my father. I did attempt to do it, but, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't succeed. Uh, uh, but I did cut him a little, though. But, you know, that's, that, that was the way I was, you see. And, 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 and so I went in his ministry, and I realized that because I walked into Team Challenge, and the first thing I did was check the kitchen. Where are the butcher knives? Oh, okay. okay. I went in the closet. I didn't even know. I checked the windows, make sure I can jump out the windows, and, and check the closet and pick up a, a, a bat. And put that one underneath my mattress. So although I was saved, I still had those thoughts and those hurts and those wounds. You follow what I'm saying? And, and so I, I knew. And then I had this girl coming to visit me, Naomi. And, and, and I was tempted to leave. You see. 
And, and I knew that if I go back out there, I'm going to be going to prison for life or something. And I knew I had very little choices. And, and I knew that these people that tried to kill me, they weren't going to give up. Because my lifestyle was a lifestyle of violence, you see. And so I had to cut Naomi loose. So don't come back here and visit me anymore. Because I realized, I, I realized the Lord has spoken to me. I had an encounter with him. And he says, now you got to go through a process here in order to maintain this lifestyle. And so what I did, I fasted for an entire year, three to four days per week, without water, without food, and I stayed in God's word. And I asked God to heal me. And the first thing that he healed in my life was the anger and the unforgiveness that I had in my heart against my father. You see, he had to set me free. And so, unfortunately, I hate to say this when I do with all due respect, but I realize that in churches today, there's a lot of folks that are sitting on a lot of, a lot of anger, a lot of unforgiveness. I, I, I was preaching in this large church called ICC in Staten Island and made an altar call, and people were coming up, and, and they were falling under the power of God. And this lady came up, and I lay hands on her, and then I lay hands, and I felt that my strength was depleting because, you know, there was something wrong here. She wasn't giving up the ghosts. And so I looked at her, and I said, is, is there unforgiveness in your heart? She said, not me. I get along with everybody. So I said, let me tell you something. Can you push aside? I got some business to take care of here. And after finished praying, finishing praying for all the folks there, I asked, uh, the folks that were there came, rather came up to me and said, you see that lady there? Man, she's the most unforgiving person you can ever meet. And so what I realized after going through different uh, uh, venues and preaching in different locations, I, I realized that there are people, a large percentage of people. You see, in fact, statistics says that only 10% of God's people Read the Bible daily. You see what I'm saying? And there's only 33% of evangelical, that's us, that believe that the word of God is infallible. That the world is bombarding, influencing, and conditioning the body of Christ. That they're buying into what the, what the prince of the air is giving them. What is the prince of the air? ABC, NBC, CNN, uh, you know... <laughs> You name it. All those guys, they're constantly molding the way we should think in every aspect of our lives. You see what I'm saying? And so we, 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 we let me tell you, we're in trouble in this nation. And so what's going to save us is staying close to the word. And so here's the psalmist. He is going through all these kind of changes. And, and in that moment of despair, he turns to the God of all comfort and mercy. Pour out his heart and receive comfort in that moment of desperation. It is remarkable how he regained his encouragement and in that desperate situation. And he begins to reflect on God's infallible word and the word of God lifted him. The Logos 
came, hallelujah, and, get, and turned into the Ramos, God begins to reveal to him personally. This is what got him out. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, Malkin X read the word of, uh, of the Bible. What good did it do him? It has to be the Ramos. God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, the one that write, wrote the word, he has to speak to you directly. I found myself during that fasting and praying period, I was always asking God for forgiveness. And you know what? Even today, I was praying yesterday, and, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know something about you? I said, what is it? You, you're still a selfish individual. I said, really? Yeah. I said, well, God, you're going to have to take that, that thing out also. And I'm not fin he's not finished with me. But God does it with love. He'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. But he wants you to be more like him. He wants you to talk like him, walk like him, think like him. You see, especially in the world that we live in today. We're, we're in trouble. I read the Christianity Today uh, uh, magazine, and it gives you statistics. Uh, uh, evangelical, how many believe that, uh, and I hate to mention words, I'm not even going to go there, but, how, you know, there's certain lifestyle that people are buying into, God's people. And so I don't want to you know, go into details because I, I don't want to offend you in any way, you see. And, 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 so, and so, so the Lord reveals himself to the psalmist through his word. And the word became a lie. The word jumped out of the pages and it became a revelation. The psalmist reflected and meditated on, meditated on three significant historical events that took place in the lives of the Hebrew children of God. It is amazing how God demonstrated his kindness and power in the land of Jordan, in the heights of Hermon, and, and from the hills of Misa. So the psalmist calls to remember, remembrance these important historical events. This is what, what God begins to reveal to the psalmist. And my, and, my, and my question to you is, what do you remember? What experience do you have with the Holy Spirit? It is important that you have a, a tremendous experience with God. You see, every time God wants to reveal himself to you, every time that he wants to demonstrate his goodness and power, somehow we run to the arm of flesh. You know, uh, my wife can tell you that the doctors discovered a few years ago that I had a aorta aneurysm. Whatever that means, I know it was serious. And so I go to the doctor, and he says, I have to send you to a, to a, and one thing about doctors, they don't know me. They, when they tell me I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, sometimes I, put, I stop them right there. And, and whenever they start talking stuff to me, I say, hold it, don't, 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 don't declare that stuff on me. You see, somehow they get the feeling that you're going to follow all the instructions and that they're, that they're like God. And I respect doctors, and thank God for them that we have them here, you see. In other places, they don't have them, so they have to go directly to the source, you see. And, and so I went through the process, and I went to, 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 this, uh, 
to this specialist, and he, went, he began taking tests, and he said, yeah, 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 he's right, you got this. And I said, okay. He says, you got to come back for another examination. I kept going. Then he says, next week you come back, and this is when we're going to give you the date for the operation and all this and that. So I show up to the office, and it occurred to me, Pastor, that I never prayed about it. I went along with the program. I'm so serious. I said, God, forgive me. I should have been touched. I should have checked in with you first. Here I am. I'm taking all this face value. And so I asked him for forgiveness right there and then. How did I miss that? I got caught up with this stuff. And so I went in. They took the last test, and the doctor came back out and said, he says, I didn't make the mistake. They did over there. They send you here. I don't know. You know, he, he, he's just worried about a lawsuit or something, you know. And so, so, he, so he gives me the file, and I go back to the primary. And this is the, this is the body language. The primary gets a file, and this is how he's, this is his body language. I'm confused. I'm confused. He's moving his head like, I'm confused. I'm confused. I'm confused. I'm confused. And I said, I said, doctor, what seems to confuse you? It's just you don't have it. Well, but he acted like he wanted me to have it. <laughs> he was angry. The doctor was angry. You know why? Because I blew, or God blew, his scientific world apart. See, he was believing in the God of science. You see, that's another God that's coming into, into play in this nation. And so... I said to him, but doctor, I don't know if you know this. I'm a minister of the gospel, and I, I believe in miracles. This is how he says it. Miracles? I believe in miracles, but they're very rare. Well, when his caseload got packed and he needed to transfer patients out to another doctor, guess who was the first one to go? Because every time I walked in that office, he had to look out of a miracle. And I told him it was about the Lord. He had to face the reality. You see, that's what God called us to. To be witnesses unto this world. No matter how uncomfortable it gets. So, so, what is it that you remember? I remember these things. And so, the, the psalmist, perhaps, was contemplating uh, on the crossing of the Jordan River. Then he mentioned Jordan, that he remembered these things. He's reflecting. He's, he's concentrating. And, and he's, I believe that perhaps he was thinking about in Joshua chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, the crossing of the Jordan River. And the crossing was, this crossing was going to be a memorial to the children of Israel when facing challenges and precarious conditions. The Hebrew crossed the Jordan River when it was the most difficult, challenging time and season. It was overflowing its banks. It was into its flood stages. And yet God Almighty parted and select this time for them to cross and parted the Jordan River and they crossed it on dry ground. Now the Hebrews were ready to march forward and face the giants of that land. As you know, they, they weren't going to do it under Moses. And so this is a, 
an experience, a memory. In fact, if you go on to read, they said, let's put 12 huge boulders in the middle of this Jordan River. Get the 12 tribes, let them carry these boulders on their shoulder, pile it up now, that is dry ground. And the reason for this, this is a memorial because our children's and our children's children one day will bring them over to the Jordan River and say, look, we crossed this baby. When it, and God parted it, you see. And look at the 12 stones that we left there in the middle of the, uh, of the river. See, it'll be a memory, it'll be an experience, and, and be something that, 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 that will impact into their lives, that will increase their faith, you see. And so what do you remember, you see? The question is, I, I remember, you know, I have, I don't know how many brothers and sisters I have, I'll be honest with you. I think I got 19, 22, something like that, because my father was a traveling preacher. <laughs> He was a preacher, though, a backslidden preacher. And so I have, you know, I really don't have that much communication with my other brothers and sisters from a different mother. I don't, not much. Uh, I did try, and then we, we ended up arguing over Jesus hanging on the cross. When I used to go to their home, I said, what is he doing hanging on the cross? So they, 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 they didn't like me. And I realized, I come to think about it, I should never approach it that way at that time. But anyhow, my father calls me. He doesn't normally call me. And he calls me and he says, um, your brother's in the hospital for three months. I said, really? He says, and you haven't visited. And I said, look, I, I don't know anything about them. He says, well, doctors just gave him two days to live. He's been in a coma. They, he poisoned himself with liquor. You, you ever seen those comas? They, they drink so much. And, and while he's been in a coma, they have extracted numerous uh, uh, organs from him, the pancreas and all those things. They were just pulling it all out of him. And he was dying. And they gave him two days. So he says, why don't you come and visit him? So I said, Miriam, you know, my father who never calls, he wants me to come and visit our brother. And uh, he wants us to go and, pr and pray for him. But I have, to be, I have to be honest with you. Puerto Ricans in particular have the audacity to call their children Jesus, to name them Jesus. So this kid, his name is Jesus. Now how in the world am I going to go in there and pray? And pray in what name? So Miriam and I get there to the hospital. They're all, they're all hanging around in, in, in the waiting room, and they're all making arrangements at this time because doctors told them two days. And then not only that, the priest came around, and with all due respect, but he came around and he did what you call the last rite. I don't know what they do, to be honest. I don't know. I know that they, I don't know whatever they do, but uh, he gave them the last rite. And so they're, they're there, and they're making arrangements. So Miriam and I pop in, and we said, look, uh, we came to pray for him. And, uh, and we're going to believe God that he's going to bring him back to life. And they said, uh, listen, please, don't come with that stuff here. 
you know, you know, go somewhere else with that stuff. We're making arrangements here. Don't, don't bring any ho false hope. We're making arrangements for the funeral. Doctor gave two days. The priest gave the last rite, and that's it. And so I said to Miriam, because I'm not really, she's a humble lady. I, I said to Miriam, let's get out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to play that. And she said, no, no, no. She says, when I was in a coma with brain damage, after that car hit us going 70 miles an hour, ran into our car, and when doctors didn't think I was going to make it, I can hear your voice in the coma. And she says, let's go in there and let's pray for him. He said, she wasn't supposed to recover. There she is sitting there, a teacher. And so I remember going into that room, Miriam and I, and we began to speak the word of God over him. And we, be, we made declarations. We said, we come, we represent Jesus. I don't know. I hope we didn't confuse them. But <laughs> and we prayed and prayed, and it didn't take long. Five minutes later, he opened his eyes. He looks at my wife, and I know my wife is hot stuff. And he starts winkling. He winkled at her. You know, I was ready to put him back into unconsciousness. <laughs> Today he calls me. He's in, he's in Florida. He has two daughters. He's doing great. And every time he calls me, he cries. He tells me, you saved my life. And I say, no, Jesus did. Not you, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the Lord did and so you know the question is what do you remember do you have an experience that you or, or stay in the word and God will give you an experience an experience of, of what the Lord has done in the past you see and, the, and, and you know and, and, and possibly God was uh, 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 showing the psalmist about the children of Israel when they went against the wall of Jericho. You remember that? There's a, they're going to go against these, these giants behind these walls, these well-prepared strategists, military people, and God gives Joshua the instructions and the directives how you're going to go against your enemy, you see. And so God says, first of all, I'm going to constantly, you want to get consecrated here. Let's, let's go into some consecration, you see. Let's go into some fasting and praying. And so he says, okay, do that. And then these are the directives that God is giving us. He says, go march around those walls uh, one time each day for six days. Then the seventh day you march seven times and you praise God. That's why when the pastor said that uh, he, you know, he knows some, some ministers that started out as song leaders. See, the Bible says that when you sing to the Lord, God sings back to you songs of deliverance, you see. And, and so praise is powerful. And sometimes the angels show up to, and wonder why you're praising God because it's easy for them. So they come, and they, they, they sometimes stand, stand in the back. And the, greater, and the greater the intensity of your praise, the, it, they, they do like we do. They, more, more of them come. And so you have, you, have, you have the angels that they're packing the place up. 
and they're back there, and they're, and they're checking you out. You see, because they're wondering, why is these people praising the Lord the way they do? You see, but that, they, they, they're curious, and then sometimes they get involved in the service. You know, one day I was preaching, and there was a lady sitting up front, and I can see she didn't want to hear anything. She had her arms folded, body language. And, I, you know, it was disturbing-like, and I said to her, you really don't believe what I am saying, right? And what I am saying, she said, no. I said, uh, you think it's possible that I can pray for you? She said, okay. And I'm telling you, and this is an experience I'll never forget. When I went to lay hands on her, this wind came right in the middle. And suddenly I shoot back, she, her legs shoot up like this, and she falls down, and she got saved. I remember those things. I remember what God has done for me. And so the psalmist is meditating on, on, on these uh, great events. And, and, and Psalms 143 verse 5 says, I remember the days of old and meditate on all your great works and consider what God's hand have done. You see, and, and, and so these are, these are things that, that, are, that are important. Now, if you talk about the heights of Hermon, Joshua 12, verse 6, verse 1 through 6, what happened then? So the psalmist is thinking about that the children of Israel, he's reflecting on the land of Hermonites, that, that, that God Almighty defeated an enormous army using these unprepared defenseless Hebrew. In other words, the Hebrews had an army of 40,000 and they went against these enemy, uh, the king of Bashan and Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And, 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 and they, they went against two kingdoms with 40,000 men. I can imagine the other forces had hundreds of thousands. And so the psalmist is meditating on how God used these defenseless Hebrews, 40,000 of them, to defeat these two kingdoms. You see, this is, these are the experiences that can be your own because God, he, he reveals these things to you and he begins to increase your faith and give you the enough faith to, to face and challenge the things that you're challenging out there. You understand? I don't know about you, but every morning, practically every morning, I get up in the morning, she'll tell you, because she looks over and she sees my hands stretch out, you know. And I get up five in the morning, and, I, and the devil doesn't like that. Because if you're going to wake me up five, I'm going to pray. And I wake up and I start laying hands on me. Lay, my, my head, my mouth, my ears, my eyes, my throat, my lungs, my heart. I begin to lay hands on myself. And I say, God, make sure that these, these organs are in great shape. You know, I begin to lay hands on I begin to lay hands on my knees and stuff. Doctors told me I had to be operated on my knees. I told them I'm not going that way. I'm the champion handball player. I'm still out there. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Just because the doctors, I have to go to the doctor, the great physician, Jesus Christ. You see. So what, you know, what, what, what can you tell me? What do you remember? You see. I remember that the founder of Anchor House was an older man 
by the name of Reverend Cotto Turner. And Reverend, I used to tell him the stories. When we get together, I tell him all these stories. How God raised my, my brother from the dead, how he healed my wife in that condition. And I go on and tell him that stuff. So now he's about 89, 90 years old. He outlived his wife. He outlived his son. He lands in a hospital. In one of those hospitals where you go in and you don't go out and you're an older person, you know what I'm talking about? And so he goes, he's in this hospital, so he tells his secretary, call Henry. Call Henry. <laughs> so, so she calls me, she says, the reverend wants you to come and pray for him. And so both my wife and I, we walk in there and we looked around. And, we, and our heart, I have to be honest with you, sunk. Whatever faith we had was depleted. We looked around and we said, oh, man. I mean, I don't know if we should pray for him. You know what I'm saying? He's almost 90 years old. And so I said to my wife, I got to go. I'll be right back. So I get on the elevator. I'm going to the bathroom. That's where I have my conversation. So I get on the elevator, and there's one guy there. There's nobody in that elevator. And I asked this guy, and I'm not that forward. I said to the guy, do you work here? He says, no. I said, Oh, really? He says, no, I was a patient here, and I've been released. I've been discharged. And my faith started going up. If he's been let go, if, you know, if he's been healed, why not Reverend Cotto? So I come back. Now I'm, now, now I'm ready. You know, and we pray over him, and guess what? He was released. He lived six years more. Can you imagine that? I remember those things. I remember. You see, and I tell other people so they can remember, so they can be challenged by this world and believe and trust God during some hard times and difficult times. And so the psalm is, is reflecting. And, and one more thing, and I'll, 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 I'll conclude. Hallelujah. The hill of Maza, Misa. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 on, throughout Exodus 20. What is that? Why is he reflecting on that? Well, Mitzvah is a little hill near Mount Sinai, where the law was dispensed, was given to the children of Israel. Perhaps the psalmist was reflecting on the goodness of God of old, who gave the law to his people so they can be guided directed, structured, and disciplined. Here the psalmist would call to remembrance the goodness of his God that brings comfort and encouragement through his word. When we are experiencing trials and uncertainty, God reveals himself to us and brings us back to a significant experience in our lives. You see, and, and so... Remember your legacy and, and, and the special things that God has done for you. I'm going to give you one more experience that I remember. Let's see which one. Ah, I have so many of them. I have a whole, I have a whole book full of stuff there. And I, I have to be honest. Every time I'm faced with an experience, it's not easy. Even though I remember, the natural start playing into it, our logic, our reasoning, and we start saying, no, this ain't going to happen. This, this can't happen. You see what I'm saying? And we don't pray. 
But I remember we were in Puerto Rico. No, let me, yeah, we were in Puerto Rico. I'm going to give you two experiences in Puerto Rico. And we went to Quebradilla, Puerto Rico. There's a chaplain there, Muslim, uh, but he's a Christian, brother. He's, he's Arab. And uh, his name is uh, George Abish. And jo Jorge, we're in Spanish. Uh, and George uh, is a chaplain. He used to be a cartel from Colombia. They busted him as he was coming into Puerto Rico with $10 million. They put him in that prison. You know, I don't know if you know, there's a prison in Virginia. You probably don't know about it, but it's an underground prison. And that's where they put these guys in. So he was there. And then, because of good behavior, he was sent to the one in Connecticut. And guess what he runs into? He runs into the chaplain in Connecticut, Dr. Hiram Irizarry from the Bronx, who happens to be a junkie that God brought through Anchor House, has a doctorate degree, he's head chaplain of the federal prisons, and he encountered this man that tells him about the Lord. Isn't that something? And so he gets released, Pastor, and he starts a church in his home. His brother dies and leaves him a mansion. Not, he, didn't, he, he didn't have any money. His brother was a big-time architect in Puerto Rico. Leaves him a mansion with lots of property, and he starts a church. At first, he started a little Bible study, and he starts a church in, in Quebradilla. And so he becomes a chaplain of, of, of this prison in Aguadilla, in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. In Aguadilla, there's a prison called El Guerrero. Warfare. It's a real bad. These guys look like M13. They're all tattooed from the top of the head. I mean, it, it's dangerous there. So he takes me there to preach. And so he takes me to this hallway, Pastor. He takes the podium and puts in this hallway. Now, there's nobody there. So I'm thinking, this guy's lost his mind. I mean, I don't see anybody. And, and so he, I said, what, what were we going to do? He, had, he doesn't have a worship group like you do, Pastor. It's him and I. And we're standing there, and there's this tear. It's called a tear, and there's cells. There's four cells. And he says, you're going to preach to those people there. I said, what people? All I see is hands protruding through the cells. He says that we can't let them out. They won't let them out. You can't get close to them either because the, the God is standing there. You can't. These guys are in there. They're not, they're not going nowhere. They're not, not going to let them out themselves. And so I start to preach, share my testimony. And I'm sharing my testimony, and the, and the chaplain falls to the ground. I knew then that the power of the Holy Spirit is moving. And so I said, who wants to get saved here? Stick your hand out further through the cell. You hear me? Stick them out. And all these hands started, they started protruding through the cell. And I walked over to the guard and I said, please, I just want to lead them to the Lord's prayer. And I went from cell to cell, but in one particular cell, there was one fellow next to the bars like this on his knees. And he was crying. He was a bullheaded guy with tattoos all over his face, neck, ear, everywhere to his toes. <laughs> and he was crying. And he was saying, and this guy had done 16 years already. He was saying, I wanted Jesus. I'm willing. I'm willing. And so I led them to the Lord. I led them to the Lord and the rest of them. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then he tells me, Pastor, 
Pastor, give me your card. I want to go to Anchor House. And I'm thinking again, my faith, you know, logic. I say, how in the world is this guy going to Anchor House? He's stuck in here. <laughs> you know, Pastor, the way we think sometimes. And you know what? A year later, Jorge sends him to Anchor House. Good behavior, recommendation from Jorge, recommendation from the prisons. They let the guy out. He comes to Anchor House. And I'm telling you, I mean, look like one of those M13s. And, uh, and, and, and God begins to operate in his life. He's coming over to visit me, by the way. He graduated the program. He lives in Connecticut. He's going to visit us, right, sweetheart? Yeah, let's, let's keep it real. He's going to visit her. They love her. <laughs> so, so he's coming over with his beautiful daughter. I, 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 I go nuts when I see those little girls here dancing up here. Oh, man. Oh, wow. It, it's incredible. So he's coming to visit. He's working. He's got a great uh, job. He's got a great wife. He's coming over. He was living with her without getting married at first. And you know what? He didn't dare call me because he knows I'm the father. He didn't dare call me. He got married. Now he's coming. <laughs> I remember those things. These are experiences that are going to take you through the hard times, that are going to trigger off faith in you. Sometimes you're going to go through challenges, but God wants you to trust him during these times. Hallelujah. So he can show you and demonstrate to you his love and power. Standing with me. I said I was going to share two things, but I have to stop when the Holy Spirit says stop. And I get the, I get the hint when I see the musician up there. <laughs> I know I've been in churches all. I've been preaching all over the place. God has opened doors. And let me tell you something. This place is special. My wife can tell you, I can't wait. Because your pastor is a special man of God. Hallelujah. I remember I got a flyer to go to this seminar. You know, these nice seminars. So I bring a whole load of the guys, 15 of them, in the van. And we get online. And so I'm happy. You know, we're going. I got a flyer. And so we get to the, to, to the person. The person said, uh, $30 a piece or something like that. I don't know how much it was. And I said, well, I didn't know we had to pay. And the pastor, the pastor from the distance says, let the teacher go. I'm paying for him. And I'm paying for all those guys there. I never forget that. Because I felt, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt discarded, you know. But not, he didn't let that go. Those guys felt so good. They love this man. They know that he, he's the one that, that, that build up that self-worth. You see, because they need that. And the pastor here, he talks about me. He doesn't know how I, how I admire him. Wait till, I'm, we're going to be calling him Bishop soon. He has the abilities. He has the knowledge. He has the experience. He has the faith. And he's for real. You understand? He loves his people here. You understand what I'm saying? He's not intending to go anywhere. He loves you, and he's going to stay with you. And he's going to encourage you and build you up in the Lord. And many of you are going to have your own churches. And then he's going to be the father of those churches. You see, here in the Bronx, there's going to be a fire of the Holy Ghost. There's going to be, man, there's going to be transformation here. 
You watch. The Bronx is going to be changed by the power of God. 